0: when we lived in Turkey, we had to pay our rent and power bill and gas bill and everything with cash. And so, um, because of limits that the bank puts on withdrawals, that meant that throughout the month, I, I was supposed to go to an ATM and, and get the cash to pay for our rent and our power and everything. And there, one particular month, uh, I had put it off and forgotten it until it was like the day before rent was due and I had, had to get money and could not get enough to to pay the rent in one ATM visit, and so what I did was I came up with this plan in my mind where um, the at eleven fifty five I went to an ATM withdrew the maximum amount, and then waited ten minutes and at midnight after midnight could withdraw for the next days, and I would have enough money for rent and so it 's eleven uh, fifty five I go and I would draw the first big wad of cash and stick it in my pocket and um, I'm sitting in the car because it was it was super cold. I remember it being really cold, and then midnight comes, and I give it a couple of minutes for, for everything to sync up, and then go to the ATM. And as I'm standing there getting the second withdrawal, I, another vehicle pulls in beside mine, and two guys get out. And I'm, only have, the only way I can see behind me is there was a mirror there that was kind of that mirrored surface on plastic, so it was kind of warped. And so, you know, in the mirror view, they, these are two huge guys who come up and they're standing way too close for me to feel comfortable, and they're kind of mumbling to each other. And I'm pretty convinced at this point that they're there to mug me. And I've got, you know, the equivalent of six, seven hundred dollars from the last withdrawal in my pocket, and I know that it's about right here in front of these guys, about to spit out six, seven hundred dollars again. And so I'm really nervous, and I, I come up with a plan, and. I get my money, stuff it in my pocket, and the moment the card came out, I jerked it out of the machine, let out this loud whoop, and turned around and caught the guy right behind me just under his ribs with my shoulders. He went down, and I stomped over the top of him, got to the car, slammed the car, and speed off. And I'm feeling really good about myself. I mean, I throw on some Hank Williams, country boy can't survive, and I'm in my mind, I'm like, yeah, you're not going to rob me. For the next 10 years or so since that's happened, I often wonder, were those just two guys that were coming to the ATM to get some money? I mean, are there, is there some Turkish guy now who tells the story about the time when him and his friend went to an ATM one night before they could go to Waffle House? And so we're just standing there talking, and all of a sudden this American turns around and screams and just ran over the top of me. I don't know. I'll never know wh- whether or not they were really going to mug me or whether or not they were just two guys that were standing there. In our spiritual warfare, we don't have to wonder that. We know we have an enemy that desperately wants to destroy us. We know that Satan hates you. He hates you first, we've said, because you're made in the image of God. He hates all of humanity because he hates God. And secondly, he hates you and wants to destroy you because you're bought with a price. You're a child of the king. His archenemy has adopted you and he hates you. And so Paul walks the Ephesian believers through how to stand. The analogy that he's using is though the hell itself swarm over you, how do you stand firm? And he walks us through that armor that we're supposed to put on. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the devil's schemes. He starts out with a belt of truth. And we've talked about how that Roman soldier would put his tunic on and reach through his legs, pull the edge of it across, put that belt on, and that meant it was time to go to war. You have to be prepared. I have oftentimes thought that when I'm at a funeral um, and people are groping for truth, I try to help them, but I recognize that right now, is not the time to teach theology. They have to need to be prepared for that. We know that things are going to come against us. And now is the time to prepare your heart and your soul. You have to be prepared. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. And we've talked about how that the way to primarily protect yourself is first of all, do the right thing. When you're tempted, fight that temptation. Too often in the world that we live in, Christians just go, I can be forgiven. No, Paul is saying the thing to protect yourself is righteousness. Do what you know you're supposed to do. Every time God sends a prophet of God to his people, the first words out of their mouth is repent, turn. We also recognize that this is referring to the imputed righteousness of God. Oftentimes we talk about how Jesus died for us, and we fail to remember that for 33, 30, 34 years, he lived a righteous life. And that the transaction that occurred at your salvation was, is his righteousness is attributed to you, and your sin is put on him. That's what salvation is. And so that protects us. Shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Shoes are so important. A few weeks ago, I took a group of boys, uh, our kids, teenagers, young men, I don't know what to call them, uh, a group of young men to Sipsy Wilderness, and we went on a, on a day hike, and uh, during that hike, we ended up having to cross the Sipsi River twice, and I was kind of worried about it, because I did—I did, it was cold, first of all, I did not want to be in water up to here, with it being that cold, but it ended up being only about knee deep, but it was still cold, uh, and so I'm stepping out, and I've got my pack up, and I'm walking across this river, and it... it Seemed like my feet were the most girly sissy feet ever. It's like every step it was like oh yeah, and once or twice you get hit a sharp rock and you lose your balance. And what do you do? You tump over. And you're trying to keep everything up, and at one point I ended up I had my boots tied around my neck, and I ended up jumping one and get because my feet weren't protected. If you are falling over, you're of no value as a soldier. And your feet are to be protected by the gospel of peace. And we talked about how that's a recognition that the God that once you were at enmity with and at war with, now you are at peace with. That you don't have to worry about whether or not I'm good enough, whether or not I'm doing enough to earn His favor, you are never gonna be good enough. You were never gonna do enough to earn his favor anyway. So the very fact that he has saved you means that your judge has turned and is now your defender. You don't have to earn your salvation. You don't have to earn your keep. The same God that in his graciousness saved you is the same God that in his graciousness is, is changing you into the image of Christ. So you have to have your feet protected By the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, Paul says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. We talked about how that shield, that concave shield that would be held in front of of that soldier would interlock with the shield to to the person right and his left. We even looked at the Latin word for that that means turtle so that it would make a shell that nothing could come into. We talked about how important that means it is for us to gather, how important your faith and my faith, how important your faith is to me and my faith is to you, how the person next to you, beside you in this Christian walk, that their faith can pick us up. We talked about how that shield, the Roman soldiers would soak those shields in water before they went to fight so that not only could they protect you from those flaming darts, but it would extinguish those flaming darts. That our faith, the important thing about our faith is not that we have it. The important thing about our faith is who we have it in. And that God is there. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That even in the light of coronas, in the light of, of the, the fiscal uncertainty that we have right now, in the light of elections that are coming up, never in the history of humanity has God ever paced the aisles of heaven and said, what do we do next? He is sovereign. He is king. Everything that happens in this world is according to his plan. And if we have faith in him and we recognize that, then the things that come against us, yeah, it still comes against us. We're still in the valley of the shadow of death at times, but we're not alone. And So that extinguishes those flaming darts. The helmet of salvation, we talked about how important it is to be sure that we protect what comes into our thoughts, what what protects our head. I think I said, um, as I was preaching the sermon on this, if you think you're not going to be successful in the Christian walk, you're right, that what you think and what goes on in your head is important, But Paul doesn't say here the helmet of positive thinking. He doesn't say here the helmet of of cute little Christian sayings. No, he says the helmet of salvation. Just as we said before, you didn't earn your salvation. The thing that protects our thoughts are those things that come from salvation, the things that pertain to salvation. And so we make sure. and, And in today's world, it's so hard. I uh, got an email this week that showed, uh, was a pastor, and then all around it were the things that we're getting bombarded with, with. If you don't open the service, you clearly don't love Jesus and haven't read the Bible where it says, forsake not the assembling together. And then right beside it was a bubble that said, um, if you open up the church, then then clearly you don't care about people's health and and you don't care that people, and it just had all these contradictory statements all around in it and the the title of the little meme thing was was my day my email and if you get bombarded with all this outside information that seems to pull you this way and that way or if you just watch the news we talked about as we talked about this it's it's like you read one article it's like we're all you know global warming we're all going to die and then now there's the, the solar activities change so we're all going to freeze to death well which is it i can't freeze to death and burn up You need to wear a mask. No, if you wear a mask, you're going to play with your face and you're going to die. If you need to wear gloves, no, take the gloves off. I don't know what to do anymore. And so we have to control what goes on in our head. And what we need to be dwelling on in our mind is the things that pertain to salvation. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Think on these things. Last week we talked about the sword of the spirit. We talked about how that too is a defensive weapon because that sword, the word that Paul uses here isn't for that broad sword, but it's for the little narrow, small sword that as they were in that turtle, that as the enemy came up against them, they they could stick through and they could protect themselves and push the enemy back. The analogy that Paul's using here is standing. And all these weapons are defensive We need that sword. We desperately need to be dwelling on, thinking about, rolling through our head God's word. Because surely the enemy is attacking. And then today, we come to the first offensive weapon, the only offensive weapon that's mentioned. Prayer. And Paul says, praying at all times in the spirit. We don't think of that as a weapon. We don't think of that into the, in the armor. We almost in our minds think, well, he's moved on to the next thing. But I'm here to tell you assuredly that this is the same thing. He's talking about how do we stand, how do we fight the Christian walk? If we said last week God's word is analogous to food, that if you aren't in God's word and you go through your day and you feel anemic and weak, It's because you're not feeding. If I were to skip a day's food, I can't wonder why I'm weak. If God's Word and reading God's Word is analogous to to eating and food, then prayer is analogous to breathing. You can't live if you don't breathe. We as believers must be in constant communication with our King. The way that we fight as believers is on our knees. The way that we assault the gates of hell is through prayer. In fact, in the little book of Jude, we read that when the archangel Michael contended with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Here an archangel recognizes that he cannot or should not go to battle head-to-head with the enemy, but he called on the Lord to rebuke him. We go up against an enemy we cannot defeat. We have no authority over, and he wants us destroyed. On our own, we are powerless, which is why God's word implores us to pray, because God made that enemy. God created him, and he must fall under God's authority. We can read in the book of the Revelation about how God will bind him with chains at the end of the story and cast him into hell. He has no power against God. And so we should lean fully and completely on God. So many hours for believers is wasted in worry. You can't change the future. You can't change the past. But right now, you can cry out to your king in prayer, and something can actually happen. As we talk about prayer, we need to recognize that there are two different things that the Bible refers to as prayer, or two different ways the Bible talks about prayer. Paul said, pray at all times in the Spirit. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How do we pray without ceasing? Well, clearly, this doesn't mean that we go into our closet and close the door and pray without ceasing or we wouldn't get anything else done. So what is Paul talking about here? Maybe I'm alone in this, and I know we've talked about this before. In fact, as I was studying for the sermon, I realized that just back in January, I had preached on, on prayer, and we talked about it then. We all have a monologue that goes on in our head. I, I at least I hope we all do. I do. That as I go through my day, I talk to myself, right? Please y'all y'all nod cuz I don't want to feel like I'm the only one that's that's crazy talking to myself. But as you go through your day, you just have a running conversation. Oh, don't okay, I got to remember to to get that for, you know, pick up the milk for Ann and oh, I got to got to do this and what is that guy doing over there and and it's, oh gosh, I got to get a mask on before I can go in this place. You know, you have a co- rolling conversation. Praying without ceasing is turning that monologue into a dialogue so that as you go through your day, I had a perfect example of that yesterday. I don't know who all saw, got to see the rainbow that we had yesterday, but it was one of the first times in my life that you could see the whole circle of the bow. I was driving from Johnson's coming back home and looking up in the clouds, there was just this beautiful round rainbow up in the sky. And immediately what came into my mind was out of the book of Genesis where God told Noah, I will put my bow in the sky as a reminder to you. And so while I'm driving along, instead of thinking, oh, that's really pretty, that's cool, I thought to myself, God, thank you for letting me see that. As I'm driving into the Walmart parking lot and, and somebody pulls out of the parking space so that I can park right there up front, I, instead of going, woohoo, I say to myself, thank you, God, for letting me have that parking space. More likely than not, if somebody, the opposite happens while I'm driving around the parking lot and I'm going to pull in a parking spot, somebody whips in there instead of thinking, ah, at the person. So those kids, there's one of your eyes. Instead of thinking that, what I think is, God, I pray that you would save that ignorant fool. That as I'm going through my day, instead of having a monologue in my head, I turn it into a dialogue where I'm constantly talking to God. It doesn't take long for you to be able to make that conversion. So the first thing is that idea of praying without ceasing. That every day as you go through your life, that you're constantly talking to God. And if you're like me, there's a whole lot of God's sorry for that that goes on in that conversation. The second one is going somewhere and having specific set-aside time for prayer. We see it in Jesus' life. Jesus uh, was said of him, But now more than ever the report about Jesus went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him, and he healed healed them of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus himself, the second person of the Trinity, felt the need to withdraw to a desolate place and pray. And yet we think that we can get through our day serving our king without prayer. It's not going to happen. You can't do it. Now, again, I want to be really practical today. How do you do that? And I have found for me, Uh, that I have a device that I carry around in my pocket that has more computing power than sent men to the moon with, and I I try to use it for more than just looking at cat memes. And so um, what I have done is I have gone through, and i have just using the Reminder app uh, on my phone, I've set up reminders. And so I have a reminder that normally hits around 9 o'clock in the morning that uh, pray for Anne Emily, Uh, Molly, I'm trying to think of all my kids' names, William, Lizzie, and Ruthie. And so whatever I'm doing, I'll get that reminder, and I will stop at that moment and focus for five, ten minutes to pray for them. And then I go along. And then normally around 11 o'clock every day, I get a reminder. And I've divided the elders up so that uh, I'm praying for two or three a, a day. And so I'll get a reminder. Pray for... David Holmes, Harley Goble, and Ron Hayes. So I'll stop, and I'll pray for them. And then around 1 or 2 o'clock, I usually get a reminder because I've divided the deacons up. and So I'll get a list of five or six deacons, pray for these guys, and I will stop and pray for them. And, and throughout my day, I will get reminders to remind me to pray. I've learned, for me, that I'm just being honest with you, that if I don't do that, then I don't pray. That I'm the kind of guy that if I plan on doing something and I take the time to set the reminder, I do that for running or, or I, do, I set reminders to remind me to get milk, why wouldn't I do that to pray? And so I set reminders that allows me to specifically stop what I'm doing. If I'm with somebody, I don't go, I'm, I'm not trying to be, I'm not doing what Jesus commands us not to do here. I don't go, Hey. I've got some. I gotta pray, so if you will excuse me, I don't do that. But I do take time and stop and specifically pray for specific things. Now, to my own shame and to the shame of other preachers, I've had some men in the last couple of months, especially after I last preached, who came to me and said, "I don't, I don't know how to pray. I hear you talking about prayer and I hear sermons on prayer, but how do I specifically pray?" Now. I'm going to tell you that Jesus gave us a lesson in that. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Pray then like this. So the Lord's Prayer that we all know, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Most people in this room can quote that. That wasn't given to us as a prayer just to repeat out loud in in groups. That's our how-to pray. And so, let's just take a minute and break it down and see what's going on here. The first section, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or hallowed be your name. And so, the prayer opens up with praise and adoration. The first thing that we do when we praise is recognize that the God who created us is allowing us to boldly approach him in prayer. Hallowed be thy name is just a fancy way to say holy is your name. Separate, other, special, different. God doesn't have to hear our prayers. And we honor him and we say thank you, God. Thank you for the fact that I got up this morning. Thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. Thank you that you provided food and clothes for me today. We honor God and we start our prayers by having adoration. We move on from that, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That that is a little heading for, we pray for ministry needs. God, I pray for Wendy's Warriors that you will use that for people to get saved. God, I pray for our children's ministry. God, I pray for for Donna and the the workers as they make decisions about when to come back. And God, I pray as they they look toward uh, doing VBS, how, how to go about doing that. God, I pray that you would give them wisdom. So that is... The prayer time that we have to pray for ministry needs. So first is adoration. Then your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's ministry needs. Then give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So that, give us this day our daily bread. That's for physical needs. God, I pray that you would provide for me. I got this bill coming up. I don't know how I'm going to pay it, God. I pray that you would, you would provide that. God, I pray that you would give me a job. God, I pray that you would provide for the financial needs in this house. God, I pray that you would, 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 would provide. That's physical needs. Secondly, God, I pray that you'd forgive me of my sins. Just between me and you, don't tell anybody, but usually that's where I have to park a long time. As I think about where my heart goes, and I confess that sin, and I work through that sin, Jesus ties our forgiveness of sin With us forgiving other people. Now, maybe it's just me, but we all, I think, have people in our lives that you just don't like. There's probably every person in here has someone in their life that's hurt you, legitimately hurt you deeply, and you don't like them. That you see them across the the stadium and you're looking at them going, that person oh pinch your head dude. maybe it's just you just don't like them and there's Have you ever met somebody and you don't know them from Adam's house cat and you they walk up and talk to you and you're like yeah, I don't like you I don't trust you I don't I don't know you but the best thing you can do is go somewhere else so things like that what I've learned the little trick is that if I pray for them, God changes my heart. If someone's hurt me deeply, I mean, I've shared, most everybody in this room's heard my testimony, how when I was going to, to college, I had some people that hurt me, legitimately hurt me deeply. And I went six or seven years running from God being a raving, angry fool. And you know what? I didn't hurt those people at all. Who I hurt was me. So I need to learn how to forgive, and the trick that I've learned with how to forgive is pray for people. Even if I have to start out praying for them, like, God bless them, I guess. Over time, God will soften your heart toward them, and there are people who have legitimately hurt me that as I prayed for them over the course of just two or three months, God changed my heart. Instead of looking at them and going, ugh. I looked at them and thought, I hope God's doing something amazing in their life. So we forgive and we pray for forgiveness. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's a prayer of protection. I mean, we've been talking for eight weeks now about how we're in a spiritual battle, we need God to protect us. We need God to protect our mind. We need God to to protect us. And we need to call on God to do that. So often we succumb to temptation and act like God didn't do anything and we never cried out to him. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And then it ends in adoration again. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It opens and closes with adoration. Opens in adoration. Your kingdom come. Kingdom request. Practical request. Forgiveness. Lead us out of temptation. And then adoration again. Now, I will tell you, um, I guess it's just because I'm weak-minded, but whenever I'm filing anything, if I pick up something that's an R and I've got to file it, I still do this. A B C D F G H H, H, J K L M P Q R. If 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 I'm in church and somebody says, turn in your Bibles to Exodus, I go, Genesis, Exodus. If it's Ezekiel, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Josh, Ezekiel. And so literally, at this point in my life, whenever I pray, I go, our Father who art in heaven, Father God, I take this time to just adore you. Thank you for who you are. It's not a temptation, Father God. I pray that you protect me. So I will literally, rotely say it in my mind to as the tabs, the ABCDFG of where I am in prayer. John Wesley tells the story of just a little background. John Wesley was a circuit preacher in the uh, He started the Methodist Church, um, and what he did throughout his whole life as he would literally get on a horse and ride over to Joe Blow's house and he would sit down with him for an hour at his kitchen table and disciple him. And then he would get up from there and get on his horse and go down to Jim Bob's house and disciple him. And he did that every day throughout his life. As he got older, it became more and more difficult for him to keep that kind of schedule. So what he did was he said to himself and he said to them, here's what I'm going to do. Instead of visiting with you once a week, I'm going to visit with you once a month. But I will commit to you that instead, uh, in the time that I would be spending horseback riding out to you and the time that I would spend with you, I will spend that time praying for you and praying for your needs. And John Wesley kept copious notes of each person that he was discipling and how he was working, how they were growing, and he soon discovered that the people who lived close to him that he was still able to meet with once a week and the people who lived further away so that he was only meeting with them once a month but he was praying for them once a week, he started noticing that the people that he was praying for his faith was growing deeper, that their walk with Christ was getting richer, that they were growing further than the people he was meeting with every day. And he said, oh to God that I had structured my ministry differently, that instead of arrogantly thinking that those people needed me and recognize that they needed an experience with God and that I'd been praying for them, well, we can learn from him. If there's people in your life that you want to see grow, write them down. Pray for them every day. If there are people that you know that you want to see saved, write them down. And I can tell you from experience, I keep in the, one of the blank pages in my Bible a top ten list of people that I pray for every day that they get saved. There is nothing so sweet as going to someone after you baptize them and say, come here, I want to show you something. Look here, Anthony, here's your name. I've been praying for you to get saved. God answers prayer, doesn't he? Never fail that when that happened, the person didn't well up with tears and go, you're kidding me, you've been praying for me? God answers prayer. We're not just talking to the ceiling. It is the only offensive weapon in our arsenal. It is the way that we fight. It is the way that we overcome the enemy. So I implore you, church, let us be a people that prays. Father God, Lord, I pray that we would pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves, to call out to you. Lord, I pray that we would recognize our dependency on you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done in our lives. We pray that you would bless this church. You would continue to grow this church. You would continue to grow us spiritually. And God, I pray that you would continue to use us to reach our community in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.